Hey friends, just a real quick note about today's episode. You're about to hear my conversation with David H. Parker. Since this episode was recorded and produced, David has switched to using they, them pronouns. So David and I just wanted to give you that update. All right, enjoy the episode. There's only time to be ourselves, right? Like I only have time personally to be myself. And that comes with everything. It's not just, you know, what people say, like, oh, just be yourself and like this public image. Like it doesn't really only have to do with that. It's also how I, you know, how I communicate with my loved ones. I, I only have time to be fully what I know that I can give to them, you know? And that's like a, that's a really great place to start with for people, or that was a great place for me to start. Hey everybody, welcome to Theater Life Uncensored, where we peel back the curtain and reveal to you what's really working in today's industry for theater artists just like you. That means you get to hear and learn how to surpass your career goals sooner and enjoy an easier, more peaceful life along the way. I'm your host, Jim Cooney, a New York City-based director and choreographer, and I'm also the founder of Amplified Artists, a membership community for theater professionals, from performers to producers, and everyone in between, helping you create a career and life you love. This is probably one of my favorite interviews because my guest today, David H. Parker, is so inspiring. I see a lot of people making excuses for why they aren't where they want to be in life. And I'm not saying that the facts or the circumstances aren't real, but it's what you do with those facts and given circumstances that truly matters. David opens up about coming from a poor family, so much so that he didn't even attend a public school. That alone makes it so impressive that he's accomplished so much, but even more impressive is how quickly he's done it and at such a young age. David also celebrates being black and being queer, and this is what I'm saying. People could use these excuses of not having enough money or being too young or being too old for that matter, or feeling like society views them as less than or quote unquote another, and they could let those be limitations. Or they could push away those excuses and see their own greatness. And that's exactly what David does. So whatever you're dealing with in your life, whatever the circumstances may be, I hope this interview inspires you to see your own greatness and it lights a spark inside you to go out there and claim what's yours. But real quick, before we start, be sure to hit the subscribe button in your podcast player so you are the very first to know when the next episode is released. And since this is a new podcast, I would really love your help getting the word out to as many people as possible. Two awesome ways you can help me do that is by giving the podcast a five-star rating and leaving a positive review. It really does help the podcast services know which podcast to highlight and feature. So again, I would really be grateful for your help with that. Thank you so much in advance. And I also have a free gift for you. One of the biggest topics I get asked about is branding. How do I know my brand? How do I create it? How do I make it stand out so people want to hire me? So to help you all with this, I put together a free guide and worksheet walking you through a three-part formula that clarifies your brand. And you can grab this for free on my website at jimcooney.me forward slash branding. Again, that's jimcooney.me forward slash branding, and I will put that link in the show notes. And by the way, if you want to connect outside of this episode, you can follow me on Instagram at jimcooneynyc. Pop on over there and say hello. All right. Here is my interview with David H. Parker. David, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, you're kidding me too. I, I have a, a really like nervous habit of uh, 
sitting and and thinking about all the possible things that I could be doing or thinking about before I like get a conversation with somebody. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just kind of had to throw that away, but yeah. I'm excited too. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, this is, it's easy conversation. Um, so just to start with, because you do a lot of different things, uh, I just want to give you the opportunity to like, who are you as an artist and like, what draws you as an artist and what, what are the kinds of things you like to work on? Yeah, it's, um, that's a great question. And I've been, um, kind of, not kind of, I've been pretty heavily kind of reevaluating what that, what that even means to me recently, uh, within the past few months, um, particularly the last few weeks. And I mean, I know that, I know that I just want to see the type of Basically, as an artist, I want to create the type of uh, connection and opportunity for um, intersectionality as much as possible, just that we, you know, that I didn't see growing up. And um, that's about the cleanest cut way I could say it. Um, I am a director and an actor and a writer, um, a creator, editor, like I can, you know, over this last couple of years, there's been a lot of time to figure out (laughs) multiple avenues, as everybody's probably very familiar with, um, as I know you are, Jim. and uh, yeah, I've kind of recently settled into this this place of of wanting to facilitate and you know create areas and channels and and like mediums for people to be able to participate and collaborate as much as possible. Um, you know, with with whatever new works come up with uh, my own new works and getting other people within the communities that I'm in to collaborate on them. Um, so I'd say that that's kind of the artist that I am. I just I try to I try to pull people together, get as many hands in my pots or put my hands in other people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just because I think collaboration is kind of the heart of everything that we're trying to do. So yeah, it's yeah. probably the easiest way to say it. Yeah, I I think someone like yourself who does multiple things within the same sphere, it's like it makes you a better artist because I feel like when you're in the director seat, you appreciate what the writer's going through you appreciate what the actor's going through and you can you know sympathize with like the the struggles that 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 role has and so then you can help bridge the gaps and then when you're in the actor's seat you can do the reverse so i think like it's really good for people if they can you know even like assist a director or sit behind the casting table or whatever it may be to just kind of get these other experiences because i do think it ultimately makes you a stronger artist when you have those opportunities yeah, I agree. And uh, it's actually funny that you mentioned that because I was working on a project recently in February and um, and I found myself, and I guess I, I didn't really notice these things in the moment, of course, because you never do, right? The retrospect is always um, going to, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, whatever. But I, I found myself a lot kind of being an acting coach more in the process at times rather than, you know, you know having like a hard line directing approach. Um, and I think in some situations, that's okay. I think that that's totally fine. Like trying to meet actors in the middle where they are and, you know, taking them to another place and then stepping back and then letting the directorial, you know, wash over. But I I think after the fact, when I had somebody kind of, you know, somebody that was on the project with me kind of advising it and reviewing, you know, what's, what's going on there. Um, I think that it. I think that I can find more opportunities for it to be okay for me to kind of let go, and you know, because the the actors that I'm going to be working with, you know, on anything are very talented and they're going to be very skilled, and their you know instincts are going to be right on. And I just need to be able to trust that, um, you know, because I have my own vision for how an actor will put themselves into a role or whatever it is, and the actors are going to have their own their own instincts and natural inclinations. Um, and yeah, I think it's okay to to trust that and and know that if I were the actor in their situation going back to what you were saying, 
that I would want the director and the collaborators to trust that I'm here for a reason too. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of the whole thing is we're all here yeah. for a reason. And I, I just think that that's, I think that's yeah. great. I, I always think too, like when I'm directing a show, like I'm, my time is divided up by all the characters plus the costume department, the sets, the lighting, et cetera. Right. The actor, like their one department, like their character. And so like, they're going to be infinitely more, you know, in touch with this person and, or if it's an object or animal, whatever the characters that they're playing, but like, they're going to know everything more than me because all, they have all their energy focused on that where mine's going to be spread out on a million things. So. Yeah. Um, I think like, that's a good thing for people who are directing to think about the, like, yes, trust the actor's instincts and like the work that they're doing, um, and see what happens. And that it's really exciting to watch that process too. 100%. Yeah, I agree. Did you, so like just your history, like growing up, like, were you always interested in directing as well as acting or was it like you did one before the other or were you writing or like, what was your kind of like your history to lead you to now? Uh, growing up, no, I never, I never really saw myself as being a director or really, I mean, I wrote a lot as a kid. That's actually the thing about, um, growing up and having some professors now in grad school that they approach with a type of language that I wish that I had. Um, and it's really interesting because I was just in this, this will make sense. Um, just trust me, trust the process. Um, I was in a, I was in a course where I had to costume design recently. And I was just terrified of my, of my rendering skills, my drawing skills, just because I didn't have that kind of training growing up. And, you know, I'm not here for this program to be an, be a digital artist necessarily. Um, even though I love costume designing and I love, you know, fashion and couture and style, like I'm into that, I'm interested in that, but it's not exactly what I'm focused on. So I was, it, that was a hindrance for me. But, you know, the professor in the process kind of, you know, encouraged me to just lean into it because that is something that I wasn't familiar with, you know, growing up and being, you know, in my education systems. It just, we're taught kind of to collapse in on ourselves as far as, you know, writing and drawing goes. If we're not, you know, already, we, if we don't already have an innate talent with it, you know, if we're not creating masterpieces at a certain age, then it's something that we're kind of, it's kind of whittled out of us or weaned out of us. Um, and so, you know, writing as a kid, I felt like I had a lot of freedom to do that. And I really, I loved writing. I mean, I would, I would write fiction all day long. I would, you know, write fan, fan fiction specifically out of like cartoons or anime or TV shows that I was watching or that my mom and I were interested in. Um, it was super, it was incredibly fun. I mean, it was probably the thing I did the most was write. And, you know, acting didn't come to the forefront until I was almost, I guess, nine or 10 years old. And it was, you know, a church scene uh, as a kid. Um, so one of the, one of those things that has, it's like the lowest stakes possible. You know what I mean? I played like the North Star in a production yeah. at a church that I went to. Um, and I had like those, that really bad old age makeup that the old ladies in the, in yeah. the church choir tried their best to put on me. Um, and I don't know, something felt right about it. And then there weren't opportunities for me to do it in middle and high school. So it just kind of fell off until I, until I moved high schools in my junior year. And then there was a great program in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, after I'd lived in Texas for so long. Um, and I just, I was able to do a couple of shows. I did a, a show and a musical before I graduated and I was like, okay, great. It's what I want to do. Um, and then I jumped into undergrad and I just kind of did the acting thing, capital T, capital A, capital T. Um, until I discovered directing halfway through, which was kind of late to really get a, like a focus um, and concentration in it. But I, I don't know my peers. It, but here's the thing. I was having a conversation recently with somebody that said, 
or where I said, it really, I really feel like it just takes one mentor to acknowledge and see something in you, see the potential that you have for something. And I was like, yeah, I fully, I felt like I fully leaned into that. And even though I'd only had, I only got a year and a half of experience directing an undergrad, I felt like there, there was like a real, like, I just had like a, a tendency for that type of leadership and for that type of collaboration. And I just really wanted to, to further that, even though I didn't get it as a kid, it's like, I, I didn't really need somebody to tell me until I, until it happens. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but then I guess if somebody had told me a little bit earlier, who knows what would have happened, but I guess that's kind of the thing as I'm just following the natural trends of my life yes. so that I can create opportunities for other people to not have to do that so that they can hear it a little bit earlier. Yeah. Right. Like if I'd heard that in middle school, God, who knows what I'd be doing? Not that I think that anything in my life could or should change, of course, because it's just the way that happened. But yeah, I'd want that for other people much earlier. I yeah. Think. I, I mean, it's funny to hear you say that it came late in your life because when I look at you, I'm like, oh, this is so great that you're figuring this out earlier in life because I feel like, and maybe this is different now because of the internet and social media, but when I was growing up, it was like being an actor was the only option. Even though like, if I look back at it now, I was always a director and choreographer because I was putting on little shows in the basement for the neighbors. And like, Mm -hmm. I was like in high school choreographing the middle school shows. Like I was always doing that, but I never recognized my, my thought was like, I just wanted to be a performer. And so it wasn't until I got to New York and started dance captaining and like working with the choreographers in that way that I started to think, wait a minute, like I actually fit better over here. Like this is more my jam and like things I like to do. So I wish like what you're saying, like, I wish I had it when you found it out, like in college, because I think it would have changed, you know, how I studied in school and where I put my focus and stuff. So, yeah. Well, you, there's also the thing. Oh, you, do no, you want to go, go ahead? Go. There was also the thing about, I just, we were always so poor growing up too. So, you know, I'd, I'd get to a certain point in my life where I felt like I was inspired by something. I would, there would be these opportunities to go to like, you know, these summer camps that are, you get in the mail, you get these flyers for in the mail that you, you can pay a certain amount. You can, you know, go away to whatever it is at, at some sort of acting conservatory or, you know, dancing. Cause I was, I'm, I'm a dancer as well. Um, not as, not as practiced in the last couple of years, but, um, dancing or whatever it was, singing, writing, et cetera. And, you know, as much as I did those things at home and was kind of forced to do that, um, they weren't, they weren't really ever, ever able to be pushed over the edge because we just couldn't afford and we were just so poor growing up from basically when I was born to, I mean, it never really ended. I just kind of, I went to school, um, or I went to undergrad and that's, you know what I mean? Um, kind of separated from my parents at that point, but yeah. So it was like, I kind of had to, like you did, I kind of had to facilitate those things on my own, but not having the opportunity to like learn from people in those specialized ways, it was it was pretty demotivating as a kid. And so, you know, when I was finally able to get those more free opportunities, that's why that's when it was like, okay, that's when those things turned on for me. And it was like, okay, these things are available to me. These things can be available to other people just because, you know, those barriers existed in the first place doesn't mean that it can't or shouldn't be possible for other people or even for me. So it's like, I'll try to go for everything and try to make everything happen. And that's, that's kind of why I feel like I'm here now is because I was just like, why not me, even though all of those other things were never able to happen? Well, and I've been told that you're the youngest or one of the youngest to get into UCLA's like MFA program. I mean, you literally went right out of undergrad. So, I mean, is everyone like much older than you that you're in school with now? Or like, what's that like to be? Because you said you just, you basically like a year and a half ago is when you started directing. Is that what you're saying? 
I guess it would be, I guess it would be two and a half now. So yeah, two just since I've been in, oh, right, right, in, yeah. in grad for a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so first, first of all, I want to know where you heard that from, because I, I love that person who said that because I had no idea until I read, you know, your email. Um, I, it's, it's a, it's a crazy experience um, because I, you know, my cohort mate is in his thirties. Um, so we are able to bring very different perspectives to our work and to like our co-collaborations, um, and our conversations and our, you know, in our courses and it's, and he's also, you know, he's from Israel, he's from Tel Aviv. Um, so he brings it, he just brings it probably, we are very polarized, but we also, I don't know, we're able to see and identify with each other in, in just a very unique and different way because we're so different. Um, and then everybody else basically in the program is, is either 30 or almost 30. So, and you know, they've been in the, they, they worked or they graduated undergrad and they worked for a little bit and then they came to grad school or, you know, they were in undergrad a little bit later, whatever the case is. So yeah, being a young person that I am in grad school, it's, it's, you know, it, it was damning to begin with in certain ways, just because I kind of got inside my own head and, you know, had a little bit of an experience within with imposterism for a second. And sometimes it still comes back just because I think that's a natural thing for us yeah. all to have. It's like, 100%, yes. yeah, like, why am I here? And how, like, how did I get here? But I don't know. I I've seen and read a lot of things recently. That's like, well, even if you feel that way, like make the best of it. And maybe it, even if, you know, the great, if like, even if it's a mistake, like I'm going to, I'm going to make the best of the experience and really, you know, yeah. Get what I can out of all of the professors and working in this environment that is it's created and facilitated so that 100% unique experiences can be, can, you know, can exist and live and be born here. Um, so I'm really just leaning into that and I'm just not letting it be a distraction. Yeah. Um, I'm just letting it kind of empower me more than anything. I mean, that's a great mindset to think of it that way. I also think that, you know, UCLA believed in you and put you in there. So then if you, if you're calling yourself not worthy of that experience, whatever, you're basically calling them liars. Right. So it's like, I try to like do that to myself when like, when someone believes in me and I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. I'm like, well, do I really think they're lying to me? Like, probably not. And like, that's offensive to like, just say, oh, you don't know what you're doing. Like you shouldn't be hiring me or whatever. But I I don't, I don't know if that ever goes away unless people are like, you know, super egotistical. Like, I don't think, I think for most people, we always feel like imposters. It's just, I think human nature. I mean, I've heard Miles three talk about like, She's afraid she's going to wake up one day and people aren't going to, you know, are going to find out that she's not an actress. And it's like, well, if Meryl Streep's worried about it, then we can all relax. Exactly. I, I've heard a similar thing. And I was like, you know what? Honestly, yeah. People that we look up to, respect, award, continue to employ and like laud in their respective fields can can say that, then I think I'm okay. Uh, like 40, 50 years for senior, I think I'm okay. Right. And I think it's like good for people to know, like you... You know, a lot of times people wait to call themselves a director until they've directed so many shows or they feel like they've gotten to a certain level and you were doing it for a year and a half before you got into your grad school. And like, you didn't have that fear or maybe you did, but you, you pursued it anyway of like, well, uh, yes, I'm a director. I'm going to go for this. And then this amazing program accepted you at a young age and without having all the experience in the field, like all of your classmates have. So I think like it's good for people to know that you don't have to be doing something for years before you can be considered like good at it or worthy of it or whatever like things we we tend to tell ourselves. Well, I'm like, don't we do that to ourselves as artists the most? Like, I I, I can't tell you the amount of you know friends that I've had or you know I guess most of the 
people that I know now and friends that I have now I don't do it as much anymore. And I, I try my best not to do it either. And kind of we cohabitate this era of just, or this area of just, yes, if you write, you are a writer. If you have written anything, you're a writer. And if you have acted in anything, you are an actor. And I think, you know, moving to LA last year um, in the middle of the summer or like right as the summer started, uh, I was, I, you know, I, I, I was book, getting booked on sets and acting before grad school started. And I was with other actors and, you know, in, in some modeling situations where other people were kind of like, I'm an aspiring actor or I'm an aspiring model. And those people just tend to have, you know, no judgment on them because that's probably what they, just what they grew up learning to call themselves. And if they're from LA, that's probably what they have heard other people, you know, right. perpetuating. But when you have that kind of attitude about yourself, it put it immediately is diminutive. It, it puts it on a different level um, because you're assuming that what your craft and what you're doing and what you're sharing is not as valuable or respectable or, you know, that you're not as talented or as good or as worth it as pe other people that, yeah, you know, and I mean, telling if, people to pay you less money too. I mean, it's like everything, like the way you communicate is how people are going to respond back to you. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm, I'm not necessarily jumping to book actors on any of my, you know, stage readings or my things that I want to direct or that I'm directing. Um, I'm not exactly rushing to book the aspiring people because I, I know that they're actually actors, but they're not, they don't see themselves as that. And I know that that, that just comes with a certain, that comes with a certain like demeanor or like self image that. I don't know. It's not necessarily as much as I want them to break that. And I know that they will, but I think that they need more time to do that. And I don't know that, you know, if I'm going to hire them onto my set or my work that I want to be the one to break them out of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like, I know that they'll get there, but you know, I want to work with people that are already in power and they're already kind of sitting in that yeah. place of I've got it. So let's work, you know? And I think you can do that at any age. And that's like what inspires me about you. Like you're very grounded you're confident even though i know like you said you're wrestling with the imposter inside but you come across as confident a lot of people your age they come across so desperate and so hungry to work that like the aspiring titles like you're talking about but also just like their energy is like almost like they're groveling for you or like they're like looking up to you and like putting you on this giant pedestal and so like it just creates this like weird dynamic where it's much easier to work with people who are just like comfortable they're just there to do the work it's not about trying to impress anyone it's like this is what i have offer uh, this is what I have to offer. This is what you have to offer. Let's work together. Let's collaborate instead of it being like this, like, like I'm trying to be better than people think I am and all these kinds of things that we get lost in. And so I, that usually comes with maturity, but for you and, and experience too, I would say, but for you, like, since you are a younger person, it's like to already have that maturity is amazing. And so I, was that like instilled by, you know, parents like church or like, where did you get this from? Or is it just natural mm -hmm. for you? That's a good question. Um, so I always, okay. And again, this will all, this will come back around. And if I haven't come back around on any of these things, let me know, <laughs> but I think I have so far. Oh, no, you are, you are. Okay. I was homeschooled as a kid. So, and I mean, and I mean like unschooled, which is, um, basically a place between homeschooling and regular schooling. Uh, and this was, God, how young was I, was I homeschooled? Probably as early as I can remember. Um, schooling needed to be necessary between then and like nine years old was when I first started like actual public school. So in this like unschooling program that my mom had me in, um, it was basically one of those opportunities to like, it was a looser curriculum, but it had more opportunity to socially engage with other, you know, kids with it. Cause we lived in Flower Mound, Texas, for instance. So we would be with like the DFW group 
of people that also unschooled their kids. So we would get together for these social and educational events. Um, so like, I didn't really have, so I had a little bit of socialization, but it wasn't in like a structured school setting. Um, but that kind of forced me to have a different like mindset and just like worldview in general. Um, and my mom and I traveled a lot. And so I would kind of, I would be in charge of the Atlas from the, uh, the passenger seat, which I don't know. I don't know if people still know what atlases are or if yeah. people still even have them, but okay, great. Then, yeah, they're basically just these topographical maps on paper um, that you would that have all the rest areas and things on the interstate systems. Um, so I would read those and I would be her navigator from the passenger seat. And I would just be trusted with all of this crazy stuff um, from as like a kid, as like, you know, a, a young child. Um, not all of it good and not all of it, you know, terrible, but it just kind of, I was always put in situations where I just kind of had to think a little bit like, I guess, progressively and just a little bit further ahead. Um, and, you know, and then my grandmother actually formally homeschooled me for about a year before I started public school. And so that kind of, I was able to meet the homeschooling challenge and the public school challenge with all of these, with all of these ideas of like how I should act a few years above my age. Nobody had to tell me that. It just kind of, it just kind of, was, I was just kind of forced into it mentally, which, you know, it was a, it was a give and take, of course. But, you know, when I finally started i guess growing more into the person that i am i just i guess i just kind of leaned into that like independence and that like i always just wanted to be i always like envision what my life would be like whether it be you know whether i actually come into any sort of wealth which i'm not particularly concerned with uh right now anyway um just trying to do what makes me happy you know what i mean um, if I'm, you know, doing something that makes me happy, living somewhere that makes me happy, I was always kind of thinking about it, like middle school, high school, it was always something that was on my mind. And so I guess with that kind of came this, like obligation to take care of myself and do what for myself, I know that I need to do to get somewhere. Um, and especially recently, that's just like so clear for me. So, you know, moving out to LA, I'm like, I've, I've just taken gamble after gamble after gamble. And I don't know, I'm just very comfortable with it with comfortable with being uncomfortable. Just something I I, I, yeah. I have said a lot in the last year, and like I don't know, it's an insane thing to be. I feel like, you know, because a lot of people don't, you know, try not to lean into the discomfort. But I feel like I'm not going to get anywhere if I'm not uncomfortable. Well, you were just forced to do it from a young age, so it's not. Yeah. And you see, like, what happens when you do it, and that, like, you can reap the rewards of it. And that's like, you know, people. I feel like when when you are too comfortable and you do get everything just kind of handed out to you you don't appreciate that stuff. You don't take advantage of the opportunities and you don't see where opportunity exists. And, you know, during the pandemic, I had so many friends and like, you know, just colleagues or whatever, like just struggling so much financially because all of their jobs went away. And I'm like, yeah, but all of my jobs went away too. And like, there's other people too, where like we're leaning into the resources, the grants, the funding, mm -hmm. like there, there's always opportunity. And so it's like just doing a little homework and just like thinking bigger and, and not being afraid to ask people for things. And I think that like, if you want to do something, you can do it, you know? And it's mm -hmm. like, that's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I, I think it's so inspiring to see like that journey that you on and like what you're doing now. And like, that's, it's just truly incredible. Yeah. And I, I mean, we were also always kind of, I guess, proud when I was younger, like when I was actually in like middle and early high school, it was like, we didn't, we tried not to ask for things. And I think that resistance to asking is, I mean, it's worse. I mean, it ultimately results in, on one hand, you end up getting somewhere on your own. Yes. But is it necessarily where you could have gotten? 
if somebody was there to help, somebody was there to guide, whether it be financially or with their, you know, their wisdom or what they have to offer, like emotionally, like whatever it is, because right. there's, there's caretakers for all types of parts of your life. Um, you know, I, and it's, it's difficult to imagine, you know, where some of those choices might've landed me and where some of my choices might land me in the future, but it's like, I don't know. I'm okay with that. I think that's yeah. 100% fine. Well, it's an excellent point. Like there's, there's so many different kinds of currency. Financial is just one type of currency, but people need totally. all different kinds. So like, yeah, it's a very good point. You also like something I really love about you is like, you're just very like confident in who you are. You're like unapologetic about who you are, rightfully so. I mean, you just, it's like what you see is what you get. And like, there's such an ease about that. Like it puts me a comfort when I'm around you. Like, and I know like when, when I'm working with people in um, rehearsals and whatever, like the people who like really know themselves and are comfortable with themselves, it's just like, we can just relax and like focus on the matter at hand instead of feeling like you're walking on pins and needles around someone. But I feel like, and this is like, the joy of, you know, as history progresses, we, we get better and better about this, but we're still a long way to go. There's still like a lot of people who feel like they can't really shine their truest light of who they are. Um, do you have any like tips or inspiration or like things like help you? Like if you get into a situation where you feel like maybe like you've got to hide something about yourself that you, like how you kind of get over that and how you just put that to like, so, so you can be so peaceful, like how you are. Yeah. Something that one of my, I have, I have three mentors that I can really thank. you know, I can thank them for God so much, but, um, something that one of them shared with me a while ago and it kind of echoed through the years, um, was that there's only time and I, maybe this is a little bit trite, but there's only time to be ourselves right? Like I only have time personally to be myself and the, and that comes with everything. It's not just, you know, what people say, like, oh, just be yourself. And like this public image, like it doesn't really only have to do with that. It's also how I, you know, how I communicate with my loved ones. Like there's, I, I only have time to be fully what I know that I can give to them, you know? And that's like a, that's a really great place to start with for people. Or that was a great place for me to start is I, I just have to be honest about who I am, my intentions, and with anybody that I'm trying to share what I have with, like share my art or, you know, if I'm in whatever, whoever I'm at school with or working with, I can really only share exactly who I am and who I hope that somebody else will get to know me as, right? And so every time there's like, there's a layer or a mask in between those two things, it's friction. It's, it's these, it's polar, it's something pulling from opposite poles and it's, it's, separating rather than bringing together mm -hmm. um so i just think of i don't know I, I just think of every single time i apply for something or that i work on something i create something i write something i'm thinking about who is this for why am i doing it and then how is how am i how, how am i reflected in this and you know would i be proud of this and and most of the time i feel like i can say yes because for instance, this last project I was working on, I really just ultimately was like, I did what I could in the end and I know where I could have gone with it, but that's not where we got to. So I'm just proud of the people I worked with, the actors, and I'm proud of my team. And I'm proud of my advisor for saying what they were able to about it. And because that means that I communicated something to them and mm -hmm. yeah, you know, it's just about just living and embodying and kind of resting in that place of you know, just having that sense of self and just being right. 
because I think being confident in that sense of self to start with is kind of, it's it's almost a catch twenty two because that evokes more confidence at least in me it just evokes that like groundedness in it yeah yeah you so um when you applied for the scholarship for amplified artists you talked about in your video about like wanting to share like the joy in black stories and queer stories and you know people say that uh there there was a way that you said it like just your energy or like your enthusiasm about it or something like it just like struck me in such a different way than when I hear people like and I'm a gay person myself so it's like I also want to see more stories that don't have to deal with like the HIV crisis and like the 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 traumatic experiences of gay culture like and I understand why we need to tell those stories we need to educate people but there's so much more to life than and to our lives than just these you know things that we see and certainly that happens in the black community but also like anyone of color like the stories that we get to see are often not a full reflection of of full experience right so i and again like because you are young and to recognize that with such enthusiasm and passion as a young person is just very inspiring as well um so i think like what all these things we've been talking about like play into this uh and i think you're already doing it like i see the work that you're creating i see what you put on your social media you have your podcast the queer code um i just i see you already like making these things happen and i think like the more we have people like yourself writing stories, directing stories, performing in these stories, it's just going to keep making it better. So what, like for people listening that want to like help speed this along, because it, this is like taking too long for us to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Like what, yeah. what do you think are like the roadblocks or what do you think could help us like get there faster from your mm-hmm. like experience with what you've been doing? Yeah. Well, I think with some of the, I think some of the pitfalls of, you know, stories about the HIV, uh, the HIV AIDS crisis, for instance, just because you mentioned that. I think a pitfall of that is thinking that we need, we need more stories about what we think it was rather than what it actually was, you know, and we need to be able to reimagine too. And we need to be able to be okay with, with the idea that that fantasy and and kind of correct you know revisionist history can kind of live together a little bit and they kind of have to especially with you know playwrights like Donya Arlov who is somebody that I tout a lot just because I respect what he does so much because he's so open and and forward about his own HIV positivity and his and you know the fact that he is able to look you know look at history through a lens through a contemporary lens and apply black queer love to it which is insane, you know, considering one of his most popular works is a slave story. So it's like, or an enslaved people story. So it's like, how many times have you thought about enslaved people being queer, right, together, right, on these plantations? So it's like, I think that we need to be able to, like, look at, if we're going to be looking through history, we need to be able to look at it with a sense of, a sense of desire for what could have been and what should have been, right? It's not about creating, like, a frivolous landscape for these stories to exist that's, like, not believable it's just about it's about celebrating all of the things they could have been and weren't because of anti-blackness um and you know i could say white supremacy or, or whatever but it's really it's really just this, it's anti-blackness because white supremacy kind of empowers the the white end of it but it's really all about the fact that blackness was put at the bottom of whatever uh, social and historical hierarchy we're talking about and i recently watched um all pose and all insecure. Um, and those shows have really just, just given me a, like a, a great idea of, cause pose is, is great in all of its, in all of its ways, but I feel like it, 
you know, it doesn't celebrate, it doesn't celebrate like the dark skinned black community enough. Right. And it doesn't, which we can all, we can say about a lot of things, but this is just moving toward, you know, toward things that can become even more progressive. And I think that we just, it's kind of an avalanche. So it's like Pose started something great and, you know, it can only, it only goes up from here. Um, and then like Insecure, for instance, it was great, but there wasn't like a lot of queerness involved. So it's like, okay, well, how can we continue to rethink and reimagine these stories so that we're really plugging in like all the pieces of like highly funded shows like Insecure and Pose and, and you know, great stars like Pose where people can, you know, people want to follow those actors, but also some really great new, you know, black actors like an Insecure and creators that, you know, that HBO could facilitate. It's just like, taking all these puzzle pieces from things that are working really well and, and really seeing how they can serve these specialized communities and like just celebrate the people that are in them and celebrate these stories that are not being told. Because I think, I don't know, I just feel like, I feel like a lot of places are doing a lot of things really well. And I feel like soon we're going to have, we're going to have some really amazing stories for this community, for this intersection. We're just not quite there yet. Yeah. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully we're seeing that in the next, in the next few years. Yeah, and I think that because it's always so well-received, like these shows when they come out and plays and stuff, when they come out and they do that, it's always well-received. So it's like, I mean, why are they not doing more of it? Like you could, like, there's no reason to not explode this type of work, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And and that's kind of like in the next couple of years, um, you know, at UCLA, for instance, like that's kind of what I intend to focus on are these, these stories that kind of hyper-centralize on black queerness and are these, you know, exaggerate themes, right? So a couple of the things that I'm looking for for the next year are like, you know, are taking these stereotypes of the queer community, exploding them out, like you said, and then revealing what is left underneath, you know, with the, with the black queer people that have to navigate them. Um, and, you know, especially, and also there's another work that I'm looking at about family dynamics in the black queer community and, you know, what what trauma, how trauma influences that, but ultimately does reveal joy and does reveal a sense of, a sense of identity within the characters, because, you know, we're, we also, I guess, don't really see a lot of stories that have to do with not having, you know, white influences from the outside of the family influencing what's happening within the family, right? So it's inherently political in that way that we're seeing, we're seeing it's just the black family members and it's just the queerness that's influencing and it doesn't have anything to do with whiteness. And that's cool too. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I just want to, I just want to be able to explore those things and just be open with them, find the joy in them, celebrate the people that are involved. Yeah. You, so when you were back in undergrad, one of the other things that like super impressive that you did is you co-created and co-directed the piece disconnect. Right. And then you guys won five awards at the Kennedy center, like college theater festival. Right. And one of them was for best co-creation or uh, achievement and co-creation of a piece. And then the other one was for direction. So like the two areas that you had your hand in. So what was like that whole, like, tell me all about that. Like, how did that start? Were you guys trying to like think about the festival and trying to get the awards from the beginning or did just like you submitted it after you knew you had something good or like, what was that all? Uh, we were literally just trying to like, just get people together and create something during the pandemic. And because this was, I guess not, I guess, I don't even know what's considered the height of it anymore, if I'm honest, but um, yeah, Roy Leitner and Lee Shackelford and I were all just trying to, we just wanted to create something that was about connection um, because we were all doing this from our screens, you know, from 16 different Zoom screens over the course of, I guess, three or four months in 2020. And I, yeah, so it was, 
started in, um, I guess, August of 2020, and it went through December is when we premiered, or end of November. So it was a really tight period of time, and it was it was like we had still had you know vaccines weren't quite out yet, um, and it was still a question mark if we were even going to have them within the next calendar year. And we were like, okay, well, what what are we going to do right now? Like, what can we do here at UAB um, in Birmingham? Like, what can we do that is safe? And we're telling a really, you know, we're telling a story about, about people trying and missing connection too, like, like constantly missing connection, because that's kind of, that's why that's kind of where the title disconnect came from. It's just this idea that we're all trying so hard to find something out of other people that, you know, we might have a certain relationship with, but we're, we're just, we're not quite hitting it. Um, and we just started all writing it together. We would do writing exercises during rehearsals. We had uh, a cast called The Collective, a uh, cast, quote unquote, called The Collective of 12 actors and writers, too. Um, and we would all do acting exercises. We would share poetry. We would share things that inspired us every rehearsal. Um, we would, and then um, we kind of took all of these things, all of these transcripts from our Zoom rehearsals. So we would record them and then save the transcripts so that we could use them later. And we would turn, it wasn't quite verbatim theater because we weren't using everybody's, you know, explicit, like exact words explicitly. Right. right. But we would take those things and those ideas and just turn them into plot points and turn them into characters and turn them into issues and solutions and, you know, battering rams and then sometimes, you know, obstacles. And uh, yeah, we just, we were like, great. How can we also do this where people feel like it's a live production, but we don't have to be unsafe about it. And so that's kind of where like the facilitation of the pseudo live, you know, where we had our actors stationed in various areas around campus. Um, and then like our drone shots, which were amazing because we had such a budget for it because we didn't spend it on literally anything else. Um, which was also an amazing part of, of zoom feeder, by the way, is mm-hmm. not having to build any yeah. sets. You're just able to buy all this technology <laughs> and that creates the show. Um, and yeah, we didn't think about, we were not thinking about KCACTF. I don't even think, I don't know that we were certain we were even going to enter it. Actually, I think that our initial, I think that our thought halfway through the process or near the end of it was we weren't going to. Um, and then we were just like, why not? What else are yeah. we doing? Yeah. Because UAB normally doesn't take productions to KCACTF. Normally it's just like actors get nominated and directors can get paid to go or can get uh, produced. They can get sponsored to go. Oh, we were like, let's send the production. It's virtual, right? And then I guess it, I guess it went a little bit further than we imagined. So yeah, I don't know. That was so bizarre. <laughs> it's amazing, though. I mean, it just shows you, like, again, not not so much stress about what what the outcomes are and things. Like just being calm, like just doing the work and trusting, you know, who you are, what you have to say as an artist, and trusting your collaborators. And um, it, you know, like I think that's really when the best theater happens, and that's why I think people like to work with the same people over and over again because you do build up trust, and so it's scary to hire a person you don't know because you're like, well, what if we don't, you know, work the same way together? And like, you also start to develop like a shorthand lingo with like people you tend to work with. But, but I also think that like the best art comes from when we like going back to what we said earlier about kind of being uncomfortable and not, not um, like, especially if you like have like different ages and different like backgrounds of people. And like all, like that's when I feel like the most exciting art happens because you have all these different viewpoints you keep working with the same people over and over again you start to all like it starts to just look the same and like you're all kind of like saying yes to each other because you know each other 
instead of like being able to push back and challenge because it's a completely different thought you've never had before. So I, I don't know. I think it's interesting, like how you yeah. put it together. No, I agree. I, well, because that's what was so, you know, I think effective and also tumultuous about the process is like, you know, Roy comes from a very specific, you know, period and Lee is, you know, a little bit older as well. And then obviously I am a college, I was a college student, um, you know, I guess I was a senior at the time. And, uh, and so it was like, you know, I have a very different, you know, perspective on technology and like on what it can do and like what, what it's like to implement a soundtrack with some of this stuff and the transitions and, you know, how these things should work together. And at a certain point, it was like, cause I wasn't even, I wasn't even a co-director to start with. I was an assistant director. So I, I was just, I was trying to just, I was like, what can I do for you, Roy, during the, during the rehearsals. Right. But then eventually we got to a point where it was like, there was the scope of the project just kept expanding and expanding until it was like, okay, great. Well, we need to be able to, we need to be able to, you know, bring all these ideas into the room to be able to, to shape them in one way or the other. And it was like, you know, I kind of expanded my role into associate and then into co-director by just, by just being able to focus on a, a, a very different thing than what anybody else was focusing on. And then, you know, Roy and Lee were also doing very unique things on their own. And it was like, yeah, we were able to bring some really successful ideas and some ideas that were like, I get why you brought that up, but this is probably why that can't work. And yeah, we did develop a language that was, that was, it was really fun to do too. And I think that that's also like my number one thing too, is if we're not having fun, then why are we, why are we here? But we had so much fun on that, I think. And I think that that was a really rewarding part of it. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it does bring joy. I mean, that's what, going back to that word joy, it's like, that's why we're doing yeah. this all right. Yeah. Um, 100%. Cool. So we, we touched a little bit about this, about um, you being on scholarship with Amplified Artists. And for anyone who's like watching or listening to this, like the scholarships are for anyone who feels that their opportunities have been limited in any way. So whether that's financially, it's going back to like these currencies we're talking about, right? So it could be financial, could be just like the location you lived in, like the educational opportunities, race, gender, sexuality, physical ability, like any, any way that you feel um, like your opportunities have been limited. Um, for people who would be considering, um, uh, like sponsoring an artist, right? So we have people who spot, like put the money up to provide a year's membership to Amplified Artists. If someone's thinking about doing that, can you just share a little bit about like what that means to you as an artist, like to have someone financially, you know, provide this opportunity for yourself, um, and like, and like how that's helped you? Yeah. Um, kind of what I mentioned earlier about accepting things is so hard because I think we're, we grow up with this idea that, well, first of all, we get this idea, or I got this idea that like getting things from people are handouts and handouts are inherently bad, negative. You always owe something back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But I, as I've, as I've gotten older and matured, the idea that, that these things here just reduced to handouts is actually kind of not disrespectful, but it's very like, it's dismissive of of like what of of the the thought process that went behind going I want to sponsor that person I want to support that person like now if I thought of any time that I want to you know give money to my friends or donate anything to whoever is somebody else that's in need that I'm right now I'm in the I'm in the moment I'm able to contribute to that if I thought about all those things as oh I don't want them to think that I'm, I'm it's charity or whatever I mean it, it's not about that it's about you know, the potential, and it's not even about necessarily the relationship that you could or could not create with the person that does it. Cause sometimes they're anonymous donations and sometimes, right. It's yeah. sometimes it's not always about that. It's, it's just about like, 
you are somebody that could do so much. And just this one opportunity could be, it could, it could expand your world. And I feel like getting an opportunity with Amplified Artists and with, you know, any opportunity that I've had recently or in this last year, like I wouldn't have gotten there at least not as quickly without that. And, you know, Amplified Artists has so many resources that I just would not have access to either outside of it. And I'm just able to have, there's almost like a, there's almost a, a, a safety net below me just because I know that there's so many other people that are doing similar, if not the same thing that I am, like all over the country and some people all, all over the world, yeah. um, which I described in a sentence to somebody the other day. And I was like, wait, that's not crazy. Um, but yeah, there's there's some really invaluable things that can come from just saying yes. And I think that yes is a, just an incredibly powerful tool that it's hard to grapple with sometimes, but if you can just say yes and you can lean forward into somebody's compassion, which is what it is, it's not, it's not pity, it's compassion. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, then I I feel like I feel like there's so much room to grow from that. Yeah, and I mean, like the things that people who have been on scholarship have accomplished is just it's amazing. And so, like to know that you're giving this, you know, this a resource to someone and what they can do with it, it's really. Like if anyone is interested in donating money, I'll put the link um, or sponsoring an artist, I should say, I'll put the link in the, in the description of this so you can um, check it out. I, I like that you touched on the person applying for the scholarship too, because this is something I actually face a lot is people will say to me, well, I don't think this is right for me. Or like, I'm taking an opportunity away from someone else, or, you know, maybe I don't deserve it enough. And so like, for someone who's thinking that, what would you what would you say to them? Because I, I feel like that, like, let us decide if, if you're going to take, well, we're not going to let anyone take an opportunity away from someone who needs it more. Like that's what, that's not going to happen. But you're, if you don't apply, you're already saying no to yourself instead of like an opportunity that could very well happen. So like, if someone is like having that monologue in their head of like, well, I don't want to take this opportunity away. or like, I don't deserve this or whatever. Do you have any like words of wisdom for them? Yeah. And it's this, I thought that too. I think that did you at least, yeah, I think that for at least a second before anything that I'm applying for, I'm like, okay, well, is, am I the person for this? Um, but there's room for all, there's room for all of us. That's bottom line. I feel like once you understand what that means, that is the door opening phrase. There is room for all of us and you don't know if this is, if this is your room and if this isn't your room, you won't know if you didn't apply. And so that's, that's the beginning and the end of it. And if like, and if you don't get it here, you'll get it somewhere else. But again, you just don't know until you do it. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So what last question I have for you is what, like, what's your next year look like? Like, what's your future? Like, what are you working on now? And like, what are your goals in the, in the coming year here? Oh God, that is the million dollar question. <laughs> um, I've, I, I've got. So I'm the, I'm the type of person that wants to have like everything planned out for the next year, uh, you know, at least year. I just want to know like what's coming up. Um, so, you know, the next few months, I don't quite know, like after this, after this year of grad school ends, after this first year ends, not quite sure, but I have, you know, leads into multiple different things that, you know, could come to fruition. So fingers crossed for a couple of projects in the summer that I'm looking at. Um, or rep and and or representation for acting or writing coming soon. Um, that's something that I don't necessarily need, but it is something that is up in the air right now. So if I can if I can grab it and run with it, would love that. And if not, the opportunities in the future, and that's okay. Um, and going back to people that you know are that are trying to say yes so much, but 
don't really know how to do it yet. I've gotten a lot of no's recently uh, for things coming up either this year or next year. And I, I look at the email, I absorb it. I, you know, feel my feelings about it and then it's gone and I'm on to the next thing. I swipe to the next email. Um, and that's very much okay with me because I, you know, a very common thing for us is, is no, as much as we're saying yes, people are going to say no to us. And I, there's, again, there's so many opportunities and there is room. So I'm just finding where my room is and, um, yeah. And next year at UCLA, my second year, I'm really excited to, um, get to work on my next project that gets funded and produced and supported a little bit more than my last one. Um, and we're going to, I'm going to be exploring some, I don't know what the show is that I'm doing yet, but we're spending this whole next few months figuring that out. And yeah, I'm just very excited for, for what's coming next. And yeah, yeah. Hopefully I do a bunch of acting this summer as well. If I don't, if I don't, you know, find myself directing anything. So mm-hmm. yeah, you'll see me on my Instagram, probably promoting that yeah. stuff. So you know. well, I, you, you're like such an incredible person. You're an incredible artist. Like I, I know talking about things exploding, like your career is going to explode. Like everyone I know that works with you, loves you, raves about you. And like when people were, when you applied for the scholarship and other people reaching out to me on your behalf and like people like Roy Lightner, people I really respect and trust. It's like, okay, well, I can't wait to check out this guy, you know, this video and see like what's going on with this. Cause it's like, everyone was like raving about you. So it's really cool. And so I just, I know you're going to like kill it out there. And I'm, I'm just so excited to be like this little sliver of your journey and, and to see, you know, what, what comes out of it. So thank you. So well, no, much for- Okay. Oh, that's funny. That's the funny. That's the funny thing about that is, I mean, nobody I feel like is a, a small sliver of the journey, right? Because I, I feel like right now I'm meeting and, you know, the past like five years, I'm meeting people that are going to be a part of that journey kind of, you know, intermittently or continuously or whatever it is for a long time. So like, I, I just find every meeting or everybody that I, everybody that I create a connection with is as equally valuable. Um, and yeah, I, so I just want to, I just want to say that, that it's not just a small part. Everybody that I meet is like, very impactful for me in different ways. So, but yes, thank you so much for that. Yes. No. Yeah. Um, so where can people find out if they want to learn more about you? Where should they go? Yeah. Um, I have a full list of resources and everything. Yeah. All these links that you can click on my link tree. So that's, um, link tr.ee slash David H Parker, or you can find my website at David H Parker.us or my Instagram is at David H Parker underscore. That's got basically everything. Um, so everything should be easy to find yes and everyone should absolutely follow you because like i said your career is going to be amazing so it's going to be awesome to watch your journey thank you so much here's hoping (laughs) yeah well thank you again so much for being here i really appreciate your time and your energy and like everything you said was just great thank you so much thank you so much jim okay bye-bye wow what an incredible person i cannot wait to see what his future holds And in fact, he's already jumped his career forward since this interview. He is now associate directing off-Broadway while on break through grad school. So y'all got to keep your eyes on him. He is going to have a huge career. And like I said in the episode, I'm just so happy that our paths crossed inside Amplified Artists. And I'm so grateful that I get to work with such amazing artists like him. Now, speaking of Amplified Artists, I'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can see how we help you create a career and life you love. And I'll also put a link to the scholarship program that we discussed in this episode. Also, if you are interested in sponsoring an artist, I will put a link to that information as well. Before I wrap up here, don't forget you can get my three-part branding formula guide and worksheet on my website at jimcooney.me forward slash branding or by following the link in the show notes. 
If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe. And while you're there, please leave the show a five-star review, especially if you think this podcast will be helpful for someone else. If you've got any questions or comments, give me a shout on Instagram. You can find me at Jim Cooney NYC. Remember, there is no one on the planet who's just like you. Be true to the gifts you have and who you are. Thanks for tuning in today. Now here's a little preview of next week's episode. I will see you then. We're talking about the four things your website needs to have if you work in the performing arts. Whether you're a performer, a director, a composer, it doesn't matter. These are the four universal things that help convince people to hire you. It gives them the trust, comfort, and excitement they need to feel like they're making the right decision.